0: we ask it in Christ's name, amen. Before we, uh, before we start, the, the new chapter is in the church library there on the counter on the far wall over there. So you can pick that up. Next Sunday, Dr. Overly will be taking the class. The Sunday after that is our day of prayer. And we don't have Sabbath school that day, so we'll start... Lord willing, on chapter 26 uh, with the new year. Um, And it's a chapter that will tie with what we've been doing because it has to do with the communion of the saints. And um, if you don't have a church, you don't have generally the communion. And if you aren't part of a church, you miss out on a lot of that communion. So what we've been studying will have an impact on what we will be looking at. Um, So uh, make sure you pick it up uh, between now and then. All right. Chapter 25 is the chapter we're on. Chapter on the church. First two uh, paragraphs deal with the words that we use to describe the church, the invisible church, the elect The church as known to God and God alone. The next paragraph deals with the visible church, the church that we see. Uh, It's also known to God, uh, but everyone that's in the visible church, as we've considered, is not born again, notwithstanding a testimony. And and Scripture points that out in a a number of ways. Then we get to the, the functions of the church. The ministry of the church and how it's equipped to carry out that ministry and the key, the necessity of the presence of Christ and the Holy Spirit to empower and help in the use of the tools that he's given to us. Then we hit paragraphs four and five for the fluctuating church, the the up and down, the more or less pure and more or less visible. And we considered a lot of things that factor into that, uh, that make the church appear to be that way to, in practically to make it that way. And, of course, the things that apply to the church uh, apply to all of us individually, um, maybe slightly different applications. But nevertheless, the key things that we dealt with, prayer, God's word, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and charity, um, love. We, we dealt with those things, and those certainly are the keys. Uh, without any one of those, you're going to be in trouble trying to do. The church is going to be in trouble trying to do what it's supposed to be doing. It may have a form, may have a form, but no power. And certainly we, we want to have both. There's nothing wrong with form. It's good. God's given us instruction as to things we're to do and things we're not to do. So there's nothing wrong with form. It's just so long as we understand that the form, that the reason we have the form is we want to please God with what we're doing. And then, of course, we need God's presence and power to help. Then we looked briefly last week at the faltering church, which is simply the church declining even more from being the fluctuating church when it's less visible and not all the time there were there were persecutions and things that at times made it less visible but certainly some of the things we looked at as they progress left uh, unrepented of uh, left uh, unaddressed is going to wind is going to result in the church being a faltering church being a church that knows little or nothing of the presence of Christ. Ultimately, God would not, have, would not associate himself with that church. You say, well, that's pretty extreme. Well, that's what you see in Revelation 2 and 3 with the churches. You're doing these things, and if you don't address them, if you don't repent... I will remove I will remove myself from you. You will no longer be a church of mine. You're on your own. To do whatever it is you think, but it's not a church that I'm going to associate with, if I can put it that way. So that happens. I mean, those churches had progressed. When he addressed them, he was addressing what he was seeing, not what what might happen. He was addressing problems that were there. So, and we dealt with those problems. All right, and we come now to and, and just don't don't forget paragraphs four and five look at them periodically and think about them uh, for your own good and for the good of the church because as we, we mentioned if the people are not dealing with things in their own personal life there's going to be problems in the church can't help but be you aren't going to bring any more into the church as a believer than you're experiencing in your own personal life. There's not a switch that you turn on on Sunday and all of a sudden everything's much better between you and the Lord. And you are much more righteous. You are much more inclined to righteousness and less inclined to sin. Not gonna happen. I mean, we may flip a switch in appearance But you're not going to flip a switch that deals with the heart. You aren't going to flip a switch that makes God think any differently. He knows. He knows our heart. So uh, we need to keep these things in mind for our own good, for the good of our church family. All right, let's take a look at paragraph 6. I'm on page 642. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 25, Paragraph 6. There is no other head of the church. So this paragraph's dealing with who's at the head of the church. There is no other head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ. Nor can the Pope of Rome, in any sense, be head thereof. But is that Antichrist... That man of sin and son of perdition that exalteth himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God. That's pretty serious. Obviously, I mean, you read it, you read it and you see those terms and you think, why, why would anyone be so foolish? Why would anyone dare? Anyone with a knowledge of God, and we know God is a jealous God, as to his name and as to his worship, why? And yet millions are caught up in that church and indeed would do worship to the Pope. And follow the teachings that the church has now I want to and you see some of the proof text here of Colossians 118 and he Christ is the head of the body the church and so forth Ephesians 122 and gave him to be the head over all things to the church In Matthew 23, 8 through 10, call no man, verse 9, and call no man your father upon the earth. That's one of the terms, holy father, the pope has. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4, let no man deceive you by any means. Then on down to verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. I mean, that's your description of the Pope. I mean, that's what brought this paragraph into play. This is not a new thing. This is something that was being addressed when the writers of the confession wrote it. So they were aware of it then. We're aware of it now. Uh, we've, we've got to be careful. Now, the, the term, and, and I want to look at my questions, what is an Antichrist? What is an Antichrist? We use that word. We kind of have some understanding of what that is. Um, but an Antichrist is an, an opponent of Messiah. Antichrist. Against Christ, an opponent of Christ, the Messiah. It's not, it does not appear much in scripture. Three times that I found, they're all in 1 John. If you want to take a look, let's let's look at those quickly. They're over a little epistle. First one we'll look at is 1 John 2 and see what the passage is saying to give you some idea of What this Antichrist that it's addressing, that it's uh, talking about, what it's doing. So 1 John 2, 18 through 22. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now, are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out. From us. Interesting, isn't it? That a lot of these antichrists come from where? Within the church. Okay? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One. And you know all things, important, you know, note here. What is it that's important here? You know. You know. The church, the people in the church know. And if you don't know, it's going to be problematic. Right? But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye you know all things. I have not written unto you because ye you know not the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. The Pope is a liar. Right? God says so. Right there. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father And the Son. All right? Pretty clear. You've got your word Antichrist there. Look in chapter four John. Uh, Verse three. First John four three. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. You see the opposition to Christ in these verses? The anti-Christ, the opposition to Christ. And finally, Second John, verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not, That Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Right. Those are the the three places that I have found the term antichrist. Now, I want to look at a couple other references. Matthew, let's go back to uh, Matthew 24. Where we. Yes. Yes. Kind of adds himself to the Trinity, doesn't he? Right. But it's not like he... Oh, yeah. And good point. Good point. It's Every Antichrist is not going to do every one of these things. But in some way, you will find that they're doing something that is contrary to what we know about Christ. But good point. Uh, Dr. Overly mentioning that the, the, the Roman Catholics, the Pope, would not deny that Mary had a son who was named Jesus, right? Wouldn't deny, don't think, that it's, he's the son of God. So there's truth there. But what they deny or what they do is, but we're, you, you, don't, you don't pray to him, you pray to us, or you pray to Mary. Christ can't do for you. You see where the problem comes in? Oh, yes. There's Jesus, the Son of God, but he can't do for you what we can. Would that be a fair statement? Those that have Roman Catholic, some Roman Catholic background, I I think that would be a fair statement. You need us You need the priest, you need the pope to do for you what you can't do for yourself in your relationship to God. You need the church to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And the truth is what? You do everything for yourself that has to be done. No one can believe in Jesus Christ and accept him as Savior on your behalf. And when you accept Christ as Savior, God's your Heavenly Father and you've got direct access. Is there a place for the church? Certainly we've we've spent a number of Sundays talking about the place for the church. But the church... It's to do the work of the kingdom. It doesn't get you to God. That's where we have the visible church. Where some are not believers at all. But in their mind, I would dare say, they're counting on their membership to at least do something for them. To help them out some. Right? So... Good, good point. So Matthew, the, the, the other thing I want us to see is a term false Christ, because that term appears a few times, not a lot. Uh, chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 24. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders. We've seen this verse before, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So again, being educated, being knowledgeable in the scriptures so that you recognize these people, you're to try the spirits to see if they be of God. When you listen to the preacher, the preacher needs to be bringing you what's in God's word. And if you get a congregation, you, know, you can see how the devil works. You get a congregation that get used, gets used to a, a minister getting up and giving some lesson, we'll say. This is what you ought to do. This is how you ought to do it. This is where you ought to go, whatever. Right? He doesn't quote scripture. He just gives you this lesson. And it happens every Sunday in a lot of churches. And the people, well, this is what my minister said. And so, boom. Well, if the minister gets up the next week or six months into it and says, now, we're going to take next Sunday off, and I just want everyone to have fun because it'll be good for your soul. I dare say that a majority of that church, a, a good number of them, the next Sunday would go have fun because their preacher said that's what they were to do. You see how easy it can happen? And it doesn't have to be something that drastic or dramatic. It can just be moving ever so slightly, and before long you're missing the mark. False Christ, false prophets. Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians two Verses 3 and 4, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, we saw those terms in our paragraph, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he is as God, sitting in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Right. That uh, would be a false Christ, an antichrist. Uh, The term's not used there, but effectively, that's what you've got. And then John 17. John 17, you would know that chapter is what? It's Christ's prayer. All right. Uh, Before. Uh, praying for his people. In John 17, verse 12, while I was with them, he's praying Christ to his Father, Heavenly Father, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition. So Judas was lost, in effect. That the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. But again, you've got this son of perdition, a betrayer. So these antichrist are betrayers. They're deceivers. Right? Those are the two big things that we see. They're opposing Christ in some way and opposing God in a lack of obedience to his word. What would uh, my, my second question, any other, any other comments, questions? Good. What will be the evidences, the signs in a church that allows an antichrist to rule? Well, I've already talked about them. Uh, lack of knowledge, and a lack of guarding that knowledge. You can know, remember two of our churches that we considered in Revelation? Their problem was they weren't applying discipline. They weren't being careful. They knew they were a good church, but they started getting lax in guarding the truth. They started getting lax in applying discipline. And there was a falling away. Well, that's what you you have. And then the other, as the verses have have indicated, who and what is being worshipped? Or who is accepting worship? You get anyone that allows worship to be given to them, you get away from them. If you get a church and the minister is worshiped, it's not a good church. The minister would be the first. Remember uh, when, when the apostles, you know, they were going to bow down and make them God. Wait a minute. No, no, no. You don't worship us. Even when John, in Revelation fell down before the angel whoa no John I'm not the one to be worshipped you only worship God and the Godhead the three persons only only Jordan the closest thing I might say is that's what cults are. I mean, cults are where somebody has made a person their guide and their instructor. And so where, where you are following a man's teachings as opposed to God's word, not that necessarily you're trying to do something contrary to God's word. That's what's so sad in a lot of these places. The people sitting in the pew, in one sense, have a good heart. Now, they don't have a good enough heart to be desiring to be in the Word of God enough to know what's being said or done is not what they should be following. But they have so lifted up their minister in their own eyes. So my, my way of thinking, they are effectively worshiping that minister because they're letting him be their conscience. I, I would say any time you get somebody or even some movement, some thing, being your conscience and, and you aren't, again, if, if it's supported by God's word, they're being your conscience, they're just reinforcing what comes from God's word if in fact that's what you know. But if you're following it and doing it just because somebody says it, it, it even if it starts out intending the person intends to be conveying the truth of God's word. Unfortunately, even with churches, they they get a little full of themselves. The Ephesian church, you know, you you you've left your first. Life. It's supposed to be. And I say it reverently, but our worship, the control of our mind, is all about God. And any time it's not, something's wrong. Something's, we have replaced God with our own thinking, with somebody else's thinking, with a movement that we say, oh, that, that looks so good. And a lot of times they do. You know, they're helping people. Uh, they're, they're benevolent. And, and you say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's not. But then with it, in the work, with it comes, well, maybe a works religion. They wouldn't say it. But maybe that's what they're depending on. I mean, that's what your Seventh-day Adventist. If you've ever been around Seventh-day Adventist, quite often, they're very good people. They will give you the shirt off their back a lot of times. But they're doing it to get into heaven. So you've got to be careful with what's being said and done. My third question, anything else? I was going to say generation ago, somebody like Jack Kyle or some of those Baptist ministers who wanted to remain unquestioned, would be an example of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, 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 you examine, you, you try, you take scripture, and you take what they're teaching. Is it right? And then are they demanding of you anything? They have no right to demand anything of you. But if they demand allegiance, no. Your allegiance is to God. Right? But as is, is Dr. always, they want to be, as it were, unquestioned. Well, now you're bordering on the cult type thing, right? And, and again, sometimes, in their minds this is kind of what it's saying in their minds, they just don't want you going off and, and, and getting sidetracked with what they would say would be error. They don't want you getting other people questioning what they're saying, so that well, if you don't follow this principle, you can't get to this principle or this principle. So you uh, you have that problem. Don, did you have? Yeah, I wonder if that scripture in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter one maybe less subtle than bringing up bowls and sacrifices and worshiping them, but also there was uh, division in the church because some were saying they were. Who we'll follows? Some say, well, I followed Peter. Mm-hmm. And so maybe a modern day we do have a Presbyterianism, Baptist, right, Baptists, and you know, well, I, I'm I'm under this teacher, I'm in this denomination. Well, and again, if you're giving yourself to a given person, they were if what did John say? What was the verse we often quote? You know, his disciples came and wait a minute. John, this is what this other person, this other person being Jesus. This is what he's saying. And and that doesn't seem to, to go with what you're saying. You need to do something, John. And what was John's ultimate response? Wait a minute, guys. That's the Messiah. And he must what? Increase. He must increase. And I must decrease. That's what the Spirit, you, you, you want to see in your ministers. I don't want you to see or hear what I'm saying. I want you to see Christ, and I want you to hear what God's saying. That's why using God's Word when they get in the pulpit is so important. It's not about what they think. You now They're sharing with you what they understand God's Word to say. But then you look at God's word, and if you don't think it says that, you go talk to him. Wait a minute. It doesn't seem to be what God's word is saying here. Can you, can you help me understand? And there may be some simple explanation. And it may be that the way it came across to you, the way you heard it, was not what the minister intended For you to hear, that is, what was in his mind as he presented it, something different than what came into your mind as you heard it, and maybe then you help him because you may not be the only person with that problem. So then you help him. Brethren, last week when I was preaching, I said this. I want to make sure you understand. I didn't mean this. I meant this, and you not only clarify something in your own mind and heart, you maybe help other brethren. So there's nothing wrong with going to the minister and saying, I don't, I don't see it here. You know, what's happening? What's happening? All right, my third, uh, my third question, is the Pope of Rome the only person in our day who has claimed a position of sovereignty over the church? And it, it was just something that kind of came to mind with the, uh, the the coronation of the new king of England. That the king of England civilly places himself as the head of the church. Okay, not in the ecclesiastical realm, more in the civil realm, I would say. But, if the king of England says, church, you will call a council, and you will meet, and you will consider this, they do it. It doesn't happen, practically speaking. But you also get it, really, don't you, in any of these countries where there are dictators? You won't have a church here. Well, they're making themselves the head of the church. You won't have this kind of church here. So, China, North Korea, uh, a lot of the third world countries um, that you have ungodly men as dictators, they don't want the religion, why? It's kind of like, you know, Caesar. Uh, Wait a minute, I'm, I'm the king here. No, I don't want your allegiance going Just some Jesus Christ, some God who you say controls your life, you do what I say. I control your life. That's effectively what's going through their head as such. All right, let me finish up here. Uh, The last one, what does Scripture teach as to who is to lead and to, to rule in the New Testament church? And you can look these up, uh, we don't have time, but that's the elders, okay? You got Acts 14, 23, Acts 20, 17, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, Titus 1, 5 through 9, dealing with the office of elder. And then the last thing, we have this addendum uh, to our chapter 25, And my two questions on page 645, who is addressed in the addendum, the church, and the individual? And my second question, why are these things important? Purity, testimony, fellowship, or lack thereof, severing fellowship is addressed in there. And ultimately, love for God and love for the brethren. You want God to be pleased with everything you're doing. You want it to be in accordance with his word. You want Christ to be exalted in all that you say and do. All right? And that's what is being addressed, and that's why it was put in there. Well, who do we separate from? Well, why you know, why, why are we so strict? Why, why do you have all of these rules? Why don't you just let people do whatever it is they believe God would have them do. Um, Well, we just wanted to set out some encouragements and try to help edify. So, all right, we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll end there. Uh, I do want to mention two or three things if you uh, would help here. Uh, When you go downstairs, a lot of work has been done for the fellowship time between the Sabbath school and... um, the morning worship. A lot of work's been done already for our time tonight, for our lessons and carols. So try to help protect. Uh, Some area has been kind of, some area has been roped off, as it were, just so it's not once here and there. Normally we wouldn't care. But anything that happens this morning has to be redone or cleaned up or whatever. So try to help in that respect, in, in uh, taking care of that. Uh, the other thing, the, the children are going to be in here doing a little bit of setting up, rehearsing, for their part in tonight's program. But they're going to be using this, so if we kind of clear out of here uh, for their benefit so we aren't distracting them, uh, little ones can get distracted awfully easy. Uh, but the only ones, if we make it so, the only ones in here are those working with them or parents if parents need to be in here. So if we can do that, um, and then, if you're in the choir, the choir's meeting in what was known as the choir room at one time. Probably some in the choir that have no clue where the choir room is, but we aren't rehearsing in here. So, um, all right, anything, anything else, Paul, that you, good, any, any, well, if you got other questions, just save them, send them to me, because between now and three weeks from now, I'd forget them, uh, and you might as well. But uh, I, I trust you'll go back and look at the, the the chapters, and especially this one and the things that are in it. Uh, that would be good. Paul? I'm going to do the, the Messiah next week. I'm just cool. so, just, so, yeah. Just help you understand how the music works and so. the combination. Music. It's one of the things God gave the church. Been in the church from the get-go. The Old Testament. There were a select group of people to deal with that part of God's worship. So it's very important. And the Lord's blessed us with that. He's blessed us. And it's a blessing to us during the week when we can, at least in our heart, hum a tune if we can't with our voice. Uh, and encourage ourselves sometimes with the words of a hymn or a song. So let's pray. Lord, we're again grateful to you for your word. You've not left us to ourselves, and we thank you that you've given to us your word, and we pray that you would give us understanding. With the help of the Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us. May indeed it be that lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. Lord, illumine every step we make. And as we look down the road to see the path that we are are to take, may it be that light that shines down the road to tell us which way to go. So, Lord, we thank you again for your love. May our worship be acceptable in thy sight this day. Help us to that end by your spirit. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.